the book of Exodus, chapter by chapter, book by book, verse by verse, through the Word of God. And uh, we're going to be picking up in Exodus chapter 13, verse 17. And if it's okay with you guys, would you mind if we just paused and prayed one last time before we start? It's more for me than you. So thank you so much, Father, again, that we can do this so freely. Lord, to open your word. And now um, we need you to help us because we wander in our minds so easily. We're distracted. And Father, I pray that nothing would keep us from hearing what you want to say to us through your word tonight. So bless, I pray, um, as we just simply open your word and say, speak to us, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so Exodus chapter uh, 17 tonight. Um, We left the children of Israel camped at Sukkoth. They've been delivered. They're out of each. Well, they're out of slavery. They're not totally out of the land yet, but they're they're free. They've been liberated by force, kicked out of the land, and they are camped there at Sukkoth, and they're about to move on. And even though they're out of Egypt, as it were, there's an old saying. I don't know who originally said it. It's a good one. It says this. It was one thing for God to get the Israelites out of Egypt. It was a whole other thing to get Egypt out of the Israelites. And the reason I bring that up is because the idea being they're physically out of Egypt, but in their heart and in their mind, they have a lot of Egyptian ways of thinking, so to speak. If Egypt is a type of sin, there's a lot of sinful stuff. There's a lot of things, listen, that God was wanting to not just work out of them, but work into them. How many of you guys know that once you got saved, that wasn't the end of the story? It's the beginning of the journey. And just like God in our story tonight and further on is wanting to do a deeper work. Oh, praise God. If all he did was bring them out of Egypt, that would have been enough to praise God for all of eternity. Amen? If all he did was save us from hell, that's enough to praise him for all of eternity. Amen? You got to say amen to that. That's like a, that's like a full-on amen or you guys. Come on. Um, but he, he wants to go further. He wants to work things out of us. He wants to work things into us. And the reason I bring that up is because in these stops along the way, God is doing work. At Sukkoth, when they got there, they were kind of staged there. And the first thing, first order of business God said was, we are going to make this a statute. You're going to remember this day. And he went to great lengths to, to memorialize the Passover for every generation. And we talked about this last week, if you weren't here. They were to live in this constant remembrance of God's deliverance from Egypt. It was to be like a, like a frontlet between their eyes. Like everywhere they looked, that they would see through that first. That they would remain grateful and humble and devoted to the Lord. And so we talked all about that. Tonight what we're going to see is they're going to move on from Sukkoth to a place called to a I said Sukkoth, and I said to a place, a little lift there. Um, but anyways, they're going to go from Sukkoth to a place called Etham, and then from Etham, we're going to get into the story, like the famous, famous, miraculous story of the crossing of the Red Sea as we go through chapter 14. So that's the goal. We've got to get into it. Let's pick it up where we left off last week in chapter 13, verse 17. It says, When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. 
For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness towards the Red Sea. And the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt equipped for battle or for war. See if I can get this to work. I don't usually use presentation. Oh, first of all, I got, you can't do Moses without that guy. Anyway, this is what I wanted to show you guys. I don't usually do maps and stuff, but I think it's helpful for tonight. So this is like, you know, the land of Goshen where they were in the north delta of the, of the Nile. So they come out and they're camped right here at Sukkoth. And where they're going to travel is, boom, down here to maybe 20 miles, I don't know, up to Etham. And what it just said in our text is that instead of God taking them the closer route, see that? Boom. This would have been the, 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 the nearest route to go, up through by the Mediterranean, up through what we would call the Gaza Strip today, up into this area. That would have been the shorter route. But the problem was is that the Philistines were there. And the Philistines were like hardened warriors. And God was like, I, I just know that if I take them that route, it's going to be too much for them. So I'm going to take them a different route. It's going to take longer. How many of you guys, when you have like Syria on your maps, you don't do it so much on the island because there's like one road. But on the mainland, what we do is like when you're getting directions, and Syria will give you like three different options of which way to go. How many of you guys are like, I'm going to take the longer one? We don't do that. We're like, what is the shortest, most efficient route? We pick that one. But God is like, you know what? It may be the shortest and most efficient. They could have probably been there within a number of three to five days. God is intentionally taking them on a longer route because, listen, he's not so much concerned about just getting to the promised land. Again, he's wanting to do heart work on them. And he says, we've got to take some detours. We've got to do some stuff. And, and, and one, one other thought on this, I do love the fact that he said, look, the Philistines are there. If we go too quickly up into there, it's going gonna, it's gonna to blow their minds. It's not as though God couldn't have handled the Philistines. Do you understand that? But he was thinking, what's best for my kids? What's best for my kiddos? How can I, what is the, what can they handle right now? How many of you are glad that God knows exactly what we can handle? You know, God... Listen, there's a great verse in 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 10, verse 13 that says, we will not be tempted or tested beyond what we can handle. I'm paraphrasing it, but God says, but he will, with every temptation, make a way of escape. He will not tempt us beyond what we can handle by his grace. Amen? That means whatever you're going through or will go through, if you're going through it, God has determined that by his grace, you're going to be able to navigate through that. Not in your own strength, but by his grace. Amen? This is too much for me, Lord. Well, if it was too much, he wouldn't have let you experience it. So sometimes I think God has a higher estimation of what I can handle than what I have. But the point is, is that by his grace, he promises, I'm not going to allow anything th to your life beyond what I will get you through by my grace. That's a great promise. Amen? Well, let's move on. We've got to move kind of quickly on this front end. So it says, Moses took the bones, verse 19, of Joseph with him because Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you and will carry, so carry up my bones with me from here. Now, we just went through Genesis. This is a throwback to Joseph. Joseph was the one that got one of the sons that God used to get the whole family to Egypt in the first place. It started out as a good thing, but see, when Joseph went down into Egypt, 
when he was sold by his brothers. You guys remember the story, correct? When he went down into Egypt, and then God brought the rest of the family to provide for them and protect them and all of that, he, you know, he, it was a great situation. But Joseph was like, look, guys, God has made a promise to our father Abraham that we're going to end up in the land of Canaan. This is a temporary stop. So as a, a declaration of faith, Joseph, as he's dying, it, there in the last chapters of, of Genesis, he says, look, I'm dying. Again, I'm paraphrasing. When I die, you take my bones with you when you leave. That was evidently such an impressive statement of faith to God that it gets recorded in the famous Hall of Faith in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 22. That Joseph gets ink for that, for just saying, look, when I die, you bury me. Don't keep me here because I guarantee God's going to visit you. And all, all that to say, it's just an amazing statement of the faithfulness of God to his promises. Amen? If God says something's going to happen, I, guarantee, I don't guarantee, but, but I, I'll bet you Joseph wasn't like it's expecting 400 plus. Well, maybe he was because Abraham was told it would be 400 years. But I will say this. Oftentimes the promises of, of God take longer than we think they're going to take. But I love the faith of Joseph. I'm dead, but take my bones with you. So I don't know. It's pretty awesome that Moses had the state of mind to grab his bone bag and be like, you know, I can just see the kids. Why has Moses got that? Well, let me tell you the story of our great, 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 great grandpa Joe. Verse 20. Now listen, this is what we need to tune in for sure. Verse 20. And they moved from Sukkoth and they encamped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness. That's important. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. So when they traveled to Etham, God is doing something very specific here. It's at Etham where this miraculous, and we, no one knows exactly what it looks like. There's been different artists' renditions of this. Um, we know later on when the tabernacle is built that this pillar of cloud comes up from the tabernacle during the day, a pillar of fire by night. Probably what it was is this huge, massive pillar of, of cloud that kind of covered them and protected them from the scorching heat of the desert. But here is the whole point. During the day, God has this massive, visible, obvious, physical cloud. And then at night, it's like a cloud with fire, with light. And it says that because of that, they could travel. As the cloud would move, they would move with it. As the light would move at night, they would move with it. How awesome is that? They had a visual, tangible, listen, ever-present reminder that God is with us and God is leading us. The word Etham, the name Etham, literally means with us. And what God was saying to them at this place was, guys, I'm with you. I'm leading you. I'm with you. I'm leading you. I'm with you. How many of you, in, in honesty, would be like, I would love a little cloud fire action in my life? I mean, I don't know about you. I go through times where I'm like, God, are you there? Are you with me? It should be nice to see. I mean, it would be nice to see him once in a while. I mean, whatever they were doing, they could look over and be like, cloud, God's with us. Boom. Or, any, this is probably not for you guys, but anybody ever like wondered, 
God, what are you doing in my life? Where are you leading me? Anybody ever wrestled with that? <laughs> I'm being facetious. That's like the number one thing we all wrestle with, like, God, lead me. And how, how would this be? Just to be, oh, it's moving. I guess we're moving too. And I, I have to be honest, there's times where I'm like, I would, I would like some of that, please. But here's the thing, and it's hard to wrap our brain around, but here's the thing. Do you know that we actually have something far, far better than that? Because this is what Jesus said. I'm not going to leave you as orphans, but I'm going to send the comforter, and he's with you, but he shall be what? In you. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 16 says that we are the temple, the tabernacle of the Holy Spirit. And even though it would be nice to see something or have a tangible, you know, visible something, that's great. But why is it greater that he's in us? Because listen, it takes zero relationship to look at a cloud and follow it. But when he's in us, now he is, it's more intimate. Does that make sense? And he's saying, I don't want to just be something out there. I want to be in you. I am with you all the time by my Holy Spirit. And I'm going to whisper in your ear and you're going to have to stay close to me. And it's this amazing, I mean, if you just want to trip out on this, feel free for a while. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit of God dwells within us. We're the tabernacle, the temple of the Holy Spirit. And he's, listen, he's with you. And he's with me. And we don't always feel it. We don't always see it or sense it. But by faith, we know that the Holy Spirit of God indwells me. He'll never leave me. He'll never forsake me. And he's leading my life, and he's leading your life. Amen? I love that. But for these guys, back to our story, they have this visual thing. And that's, I just camped on that for a second because that's clearly what God is doing at Etham. He's saying, I'm with you, and I'm going to lead you. But I want you to notice something else, too, and maybe back to the, the map here for a second. Notice that um, Etham is on the edge of the wilderness. When you see uh, wilderness in the Bible, it's not like trees and, and forest. Wilderness means desert, dry and hot. So Etham is right here. And though God didn't take him up this way, which would have been the short route, the most logical thing then would be to at least, if we're going to go this way, okay, here's where we launch off from, you know, this spot into the wilderness and go down. But here's what we're going to see. He's going to say, nope, we're going to go this way. Does that make a lot of sense to anybody? That's a rhetorical question that demands the answer no. So let's look at, again, what happens next. Chapter 14. Then the Lord said to Moses, tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of Pihahiroth between Migdal and the sea in front of Baal and you shall camp facing it by the sea. Because Pharaoh will say uh, of the people of Israel, they're wandering in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them, and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all of his hosts, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord, and they did so. So the point here, I'm trying to go a little faster, is that nobody really knows exactly where um, Pihahiroth is and Migdal and Baal-Zephon is exactly. Um, but the idea is, is there's a mountain range right there. There's massive sand dunes. There's the Red Sea. And there's the way they just came from. And he has them camped out instead of going, launching off like we just saw on the map into the wilderness and continuing their journey. He has them dip down south. Now they're on the wrong side of the Red Sea. Does that make sense? And God says, I want you to do that. And again, 
to the natural mind, you're thinking, God, why are you leading us? I mean, there's no question you're leading us. There's the pillar of fire. That's where we're supposed to go. We're in the right. But why are we going this way? God actually gives the purpose. He says, look, when you get there, what's going to happen is Pharaoh's going to hear that you did that move. He's going to think to himself, that was stupid. They're wandering. They don't know where they're going. And God calls it. Pharaoh's going to be like, you know what? Forget letting them go. Let's go after him because he's got a hard heart and God's going to harden his heart further. And he's going to come after them. In a sense, God's baiting him because God's not done dealing with Pharaoh. And notice, I want you to just point this out real quick. God's, one of God's purposes in all of this is verse 4 where he says, I will get glory over Pharaoh and his host, and the Egyptians shall know that the Lord is God. Remember, the plagues, part of the purpose of the plagues was to show the Egyptians that God was the only God. Let's keep going with the story because there's so many places to pause, but we need to keep rolling. Verse 5. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed towards the people, and they said, What is this we've done that we have let Israel go from serving us? So he made ready his chariot and took his army with him, and he took 600 chosen chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with their officers over all of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and he pursued the people of Israel while the people of Israel were going out defiantly. Verse 9, the Egyptians pursued them and all of Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army overtook them and encamped by the sea, by, Pi by Piohiroth in front of ba Baal Zephon. So on cue, just like God said, somehow word gets back to Pharaoh and he's like, they did what? And his heart, he's like, can you imagine just like, we just let our entire workforce go. Who's going to do the work now? Everyone's thinking, at like, what did we do? Go get him back. And so Pharaoh's like, let's get him. Check this out. He launches his full army, 600 special ops guys, all the other charioteers, all the marching army, and they just are like, on mission. They're going to go after Israel, and it says they're just going hard. They know right where they're camped, and it says they overtake them. Now, this is where the story gets really, really interesting. Look at verse 10. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people excuse me, and the people of, of Israel cried out to the Lord and they said to Moses, is it because there was no graves in Egypt that you've taken us away to die in the wilderness? I sense a little snarkiness there. What have you done to us bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we might serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. We'll just pause there for a second. Um, so I, I was trying to think about this scene in my mind. They're probably pretty confident at this point. I mean, the whole pillar of cloud and fire thing is pretty fresh. And I'm, it doesn't say this, but I'm thinking to myself, they're out of Egypt. It's been a huge transition, but they've got a visible presence of God. They're, maybe they're feeling a little confident. He's leading them, and maybe they don't understand the route, but they're like, okay, God is leading us, and, and they're camped out there for the night, beautiful Red Sea view. And they're there, and then all of a sudden, 
You can almost see it, right? There's this one guy who's like, what's that little cloud of dust in the distance? What is that? And then the dust ball grows a little bit, and then you can almost hear somebody yells out, the Egyptians are coming! Mass hysteria. And in my mind, I'm like, they're kind of like even justified in this. This is like a, a pretty rational fear, actually. The whole entire Egyptian army is marching after these ex-slaves and shepherds. And can you just, I mean, in your mind's eye, I can just see mom scooping up babies. They're scrambling around. They're, they're like, well, just mayhem. And, and it says they cried out to God. But there wasn't like this cry of faith out to God because the next sentence is, and they said to Moses, oh, Moses, there wasn't enough graves in Egypt, so you had to bring us out of the wilderness to kill us? Yes, that was God's plan. I was going to bring you out of Egypt to murder you in the wilderness. That's God's heart. You know, they're freaking out. And when it says that they feared greatly, I actually look up the word greatly. Um, it, it literally means to fear with force, <laughs> with might. One definition said muchness, which I'm pretty sure isn't even a word. But they were fearing with muchness fear. A mighty fear, like hysteria. And listen, they're reacting in fear, and they're absolutely losing it because all they can see is they're about to die. They are hemmed in in a hopeless situation, and God led them to it. You know, fear is an interesting thing. Fear will cause us to do things we wouldn't normally do. Fear is a powerful emotion. Fear can paralyze you. Have you ever been paralyzed by fear? I have. When I disobeyed my parents, sorry, Mom, and I went over to my friend Chris Goolsbury's house, and I watched Nightmare on Elm Street. Hey, when you're a little kid, that was a very scary movie. And I wasn't supposed to watch those kind of movies. Even now, I feel my mom's eyes burning into my soul. <laughs> but I paid for it because that night, I literally went to bed, and I'm laying on the top, I'll never, I can, it's in my, my brain right now, I can see it happening. I'm in the top bunk of my bed on Amber Drive there in Camarillo, California, staring at the ceiling, and I hear Freddy Krueger in the living room. I am literally paralyzed. I cannot move. I am so scared because I'm convinced Freddy's coming after me. Par fear can paralyze you. Fear also can make you say things, lash out at people, scramble, just lose. Every, rational thought goes out the window. Guys, these, these guys are in full freak-out fear mode. And I just say that because next to that, you have Moses' reaction. One more thing about fear. When you are being driven by fear, it's impossible to walk in faith. Fear and faith kind of cancel one another out. And so here's the people reacting in fear. Moses is going to react in faith. Check out what he says. And this verse is one of those in verse um, 13. This is one of those that's worth underlining or circling. It's, it's, worth, it's one of those that kind of sits you up in your chair a little bit because this is one of those verses that um, you might need tonight, but if you don't need it tonight, you might need it tomorrow or next week. And it's just one of those, I would call like a power verse. <laughs> Listen to what Moses says. 
And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. Because the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. I got a little, to quote, never mind my quote. I got a little goosebump there. I love that. I can almost see Moses, like Charlton Heston or something, like, fear not, stand still, and watch and see the salvation of God. He's going to fight for you. You just need to be silent. And guys, listen. Those three or four things are what we need to do sometimes. Because listen, there are going to be times when you and I are in a fearful situation. And, and I'm going to touch on this at the end, but I will, I'll say it now. And sometimes those situations are ones that God has intentionally put us in. God will oftentimes lead us into places that if he doesn't come through for us, we feel like we're going to die. It might be a financial crisis, a health crisis, a marital crisis. I'm not saying he would lead you to a marital crisis, but I'm just saying there are things in this life that will, when fear is welling up, you need the Holy Spirit to take this verse and apply it to your heart and, and hear these words, fear not, stand still, watch and see, and be quiet. Fear not. I, I can't think of one leader in the Bible, and, and probably maybe there's an example, I just can't think of it right now, where that leader doesn't hear those words at some point. Fear not. Fear not. Joshua had to hear those words. Fear not. Abraham heard those words. Fear not. Gideon heard those words. Fear not. Solomon heard those words. Fear not. The disciples heard those words when Jesus came into the upper room. He said, fear not. Paul, knowing he's going to get stoned to death or something, beat up or thrown in prison, Jesus shows up. Fear not. Fear not. Fear not. But here's the thing. It's not like he's just saying, come on, work through the fear. There's a reason we can fear not. What's the reason? He's with us. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because why? You're with me. Amen? This is a, a verse worth uh, jotting down or maybe memorizing or having at least in your arsenal. It's in Isaiah 41, verse 10. It says this, Fear not, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, because I am your God. I will strengthen you, and I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Amen? Fear not. God doesn't give us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. Amen? And there may be a time, there, there may be one or two of you in here tonight, you're facing some kind of situation with your kids or with your family, with, with your job or something, and you're fearful of the economy, you're fearful of this or terrorists or whatever, the world's economic system, and the Lord would say, fear not. And that's just not like, come on, you can work through this. No, why? I'm with you. And if God is with us, he can get us through whatever it is. Amen? Amen? He's with us. So Moses says, fear not. And then he says, and I like this. I think this is huge. He says, not only fear not, but stand firm. Be still. Again, sometimes fear will cause us to scramble. Have you ever just not know what to do, so you just do something? In fact, we have a saying, don't we? Don't just stand there. What? Do something. It is so hard for us to not 
react or act. But guys, there are times when the Lord just says, stand still. Somebody pointed out that, that, that stand firm or can also be translated hold your ground is like a military term. And what Moses was saying was is stop scrambling, stop moving, stand your ground, hold your post. And the idea is until you get further instructions. And guys, sometimes when you're in the middle of the crisis and the fear's welling up, you, instead of scrambling and doing something, you just need to hold your post. Stand your ground and wait. How many of you guys love waiting? None of us love waiting, right? Sometimes it is the hardest thing for us to do is to wait on the Lord. And I, I can tell you there's been times where I've been fearful financially, so I've scrambled in my effort to fix it and screwed it up even more. I've, I've been worried about, I'm fearful of that situation. I'm going to eject myself over there and, and talk to that person and fix that re- instead of just letting the Lord do it. I'm not saying we don't ever do anything, but what I'm saying is there are times when, in, when we're, we don't know what to do and we're full of fear, we just need to chill and wait on the Lord and let Him do the work. Amen? And the next one is to watch. Just watch Him do it. I love what it says in Psalm 46.10 where it says, Be still. And what? Know that I am God. Be still. I, I, all the while while I was studying this, I kept thinking to myself, this has got to be a word for somebody. You're in the middle of a situation and you're fearful. It's not going to be as dramatic maybe as this, like you have an old army chasing you, but, but in your circumstance it might feel that way. Maybe it's financial, maybe it's health, maybe it's, I don't know. But the Lord's saying, I'm with you, so fear not. Be still, stop trying to scramble and manipulate and do something. Just watch me. And then I love this last one. He says, the Lord will fight for you. Um, you have only to be silent. <laughs> in other words, shut up. We don't say shut up at our house, but that's what it means in the Hebrew. No, it doesn't mean that. I'm just kidding. But he's basically he's like, stop talking. Why? Because listen, when you're fearful and you're just running off at the mouth, you're not saying stuff that is full of faith. And what you're doing is not glorifying God with those kind of statements. And I am guilty of that, where I'm like, I know the Lord's called me to do something, and it's something going wrong. And I'm like, well, he's probably just going to, this is never going to work out. Cause, yeah, because God's never come through before, right? And you just start saying things that, A, don't glorify God, or B, make other people fearful around you. Because fear is contagious. So dad, mom, we've got to be those that, if we are going to say something, We've got little ears listening. We need to say things that are full of faith. Amen. I'm not saying fake it, name it, claim it. I'm not saying that. But I'm just saying like, hey, I don't know how it's going to work out, but we can trust the Lord. We can say stuff like that. But, but it's one of those like, hey, if you can't say anything full of faith, just don't say anything at all, guys. Just be quiet and watch me work. Verse 15. So the Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? <laughs> so evidently after, after this awesome like display of faith, like, Fear not, stand still, watch and see the salvation of the Lord. Evidently, Moses goes back to God and is like, God, help. And he's like, why are you crying out to me? You ever done that, like been the guy where you're the strong one in the family, the, the woman that's a strong one, and you're like, come on, we can trust the Lord. And then you're like, <laughs> you know, like when no one's looking. And God had already told him not exactly what was going to happen, but hey, I'm going to do this. This is all going according to plan. And it's almost like the Lord says, hey, why, why are you crying out to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. 
there does come a time once God has revealed what we're supposed to do where it's not time to pray, it's not time to cry out to God. Now it's just time to do what he said to do. Amen? To step out in faith. He said, lift up your staff, stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it so the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground and I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so they may go after them, crazy, and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, his chariots, his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I'm the Lord. And when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. So again, he repeats that purpose. Verse 19, And the angel of God, who was going before them, the host of Israel, moved and went behind them. So again, the angel of God is, is God's presence there. It says he went from in front of them to behind them. This is, I wonder how this looked. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them. Verse 20, coming between the hosts of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was a cloud and darkness, and it lit up the night without one coming near um, to the other all night. It sounds confusing at first. So that pillar of cloud moved from in front of them, went behind them, and created a wall between them and the Egyptians. But it says it was a cloud of darkness, and yet it lit up the night. The idea being, on the Egyptian side, it was dark. On the Israeli side, it was light. And he's lighting their way because now he's going to divide the sea and lead them through while he's kind of protecting them from the rear. Does that make sense? Crazy scene. And then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, verse 21. And the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry. And the waters were divided. And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, and the waters being a wall to them on their right and on their left. I'm reading through this, and I just want to pause and just be like, are you guys catching this? I mean, if you've been around church in a while, like for a long time, you've read the story, you've done the coloring book. But think about this. All through the night, God's blasting with this east wind. It's divide. All of a sudden, the, the waters in front of them are starting to separate a little bit. Then all of a sudden, get wider and wider. How wide does it have to be to move two and a half million people? I don't know. Pretty sure they didn't go single file. It's like a super highway. And it says, it, it, and it'll say like three, four times. It wasn't like, you know, wet sand going through. It was literally dry ground that they're walking on. And as they're going in, and just put yourself, this is so crazy, they're going in as God's leading them through this, and it says on each side there was just walls of water. How cool would that, anybody see the Prince of Egypt, the cartoon? I love that scene because as they're walking through, there's like this whale that goes by. And I was talking to Steve about this uh, when we were um, having a board meeting. And he's like, was it like an aquarium? You know, just think about that. Just awesome. Anyway, so this amazing miracle, they're walking through verse 23, and then this is even more of a crazy miracle to me. The Egyptians pursued them. I mean, okay. They're bound and determined. They went at and after them in the midst of the sea, and all of Pharaoh's horses and his chariots and the horsemen. And in the morning watch, the Lord in the pillar of fire... And a cloud looked down from the Egyptian, on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into a panic, clogging their chariot wheels or removing them, or there's different translations of that. Uh, so they, they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, let us flee from before Israel because the Lord, and that word Lord there is Jehovah, Yahweh, I am, fights for them against the Egyptians. So, I mean, all of this is such an, like, surreal. 
Here's the sea opened up. Two and a half million Israel, you know, Israelites with all their stuff and their animals and they're all just going maybe as fast as they can on dry ground. And, and as they're about to get out, God evidently lifts that divide. The Egyptians are like, they're going through the sea. Nobody stopped to say, they're going through the sea. <laughs> but God's hardened their hearts and they're like, we're going to get them. They, they follow after them and they're going. And then somewhere about maybe the middle, all of a sudden, the chariots aren't, they're like clunk, and they're going slow and this, and then all of a sudden, somebody's like, uh, oh, <laughs> this is not a good idea. How high were those walls of water, right? And then, I love this verse where it says, one of them says, let's flee from before Israel because the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Isn't it funny? Sometimes unbelievers have more faith in the Lord than believers do. Even these guys were like, the Lord is on their side. We got to get out of here. But that's not what happens. Check this out. Verse 26. Man, if you're here, if you're here hearing this story for the first time, I kind of envy you. The rest of us are like, I've read this. But this is an awesome story. Verse 26. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots, upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared, and the Egyptians fled into it. And the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. Verse 28, the waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen and all the host of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea. Not one of them remained, but the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. You know, I was thinking about it like, was this necessary, God? I mean, you've already done the ten plagues, but now I know Pharaoh's got a hard heart. But listen, God wasn't done dealing with the Egyptians, with Pharaoh and with the Egyptian people. And before we go, I don't know, was that fair of God? Was this taking a little too far, this kind of judgment? To me, one of the things this reminded me of is this, is that it is impossible to spend a lifetime of rebelling against God, being defiant against God, being obstinate against God, and to think that there's not going to be a judgment at the end of that. There's no way an individual life can go through their entire life with thumbing their nose at God and rebelling against God and, and saying, I don't want anything to do with you, God, and having a hard heart towards God and to think that God is not going to respond to that. There is judgment at the end of our lives. We need to understand that. If you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, you're going to stand before the holy God of the universe at the great white throne judgment and you are going to be judged out of the books. That's heavy. Now, if you are a believer in Jesus, there's a different kind of judgment. It's not a judgment unto salvation. That's been established. It's a judgment as it, as it relates to our works and what we've done for him here on earth. But the point is, it's, it's, it's lame to think that a, a person, or listen, a nation can thumb their nose at God and rebel against God and knowingly walk in ways different from God and to think that that nation's not going to receive judgment from God. To me, the real miracle, the, the real question, I should say, is not, oh, how could judge, God judge them? The real thing that I ask is, gosh, what took him so long? How gracious was he 
to give them chance after chance after chance. And that will be the same story, by the way, with his own people, sadly. When they get into the land, they will rebel and rebel, and he will give chance after chance after chance after chance after chance. But that's why we got to pray, by the way, for our nation. Because it is unthinkable, it is ridiculous to think that we as a nation in the direction we've headed and, and thumbed our nose at God and rebelled against God and to think that God's judgment won't fall upon the United States, it absolutely will. And I don't say that to be like scary or something, but that's just the way it works. Whether you're an individual life or you're a nation, you can't live in full rebellion to God and think that there's not judgment at the end of that. Right? But God is so gracious. You know, I was thinking about what it says in Second Peter chapter 3, where it says God's not slack concerning his promises. He's not slow to fulfill his promises. We're like, God, you know, you're so slow. No, it's he's patient. Do you know why God hasn't rained down judgment on this world yet? He's patient. He's not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. Amen? I don't know about you guys. You ever just get online and check out the news? I don't think you should live watching the news. I don't think you should just have it on all the time in your TV, in your house. Turn it off. Maybe check in once every other day or so, but don't live like that because it will just sour your whole attitude. Anyway, you ever just watch the news and be like, we're dead. This world's crazy. We are so far from God. It's how, he's going to judge us. Why hasn't he judged us yet? He's patient. He loves us. That judgment's coming, but he's patient. He's willing to wait and wait and wait because there's more that need to come into the kingdom of God. Amen? Well, introduction over. Let's get to the sermon. Verse 30. I love this summary statement. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. I love this. Listen, because of this whole Red Sea incident, did you guys see some of the stuff that was accomplished? God got glory over the Egyptians and over the Egyptian army. God fully delivered the nation of Israel, not only from the presence of the Egyptians, but from the power of the Egyptians. By the way, there's a theological note in that. If deliverance from Egypt is a type and picture of our salvation from sin, and it is, the crushing of the Egyptian army is a picture of the fact that God has also freed us from the power of sin I refer you to Romans chapter 6, not my point for tonight. But all that to say is God crushes the Egyptian army, gets the glory with the Egyptian people back in the land. He then fully delivers Egypt, or Israel from the hand of Egypt. They're, they're, I mean, they're set free. They're like, we don't have to worry about these Egyptians ever again. Not only that, it says that God showed his great power to his people. And because of that, it says this, that they feared the Lord. This isn't the bad fear. This is the good fear, this reverential fear. There's like, because of this whole event, it did something in them where they're like, whoa, this God of ours is awesome. And not only because they saw that power and because they had the fear of the Lord, it says now they believed in the Lord. The word believe there is they put their trust. And not perfectly, they're going to have a few more failings along the way. But there was now a new level or depth of their trust to God because of this. And... 
They had a new level of trust in their leader, Moses. Here's my point. God did way more through this whole thing than anybody ever thought possible when they're like, why are we going south? Does that make sense? God was doing more around them and in them and through them that they could ever possibly imagine. They never could have guessed it. They wouldn't have been able to work it out or thought it through. God was wanting to go way beyond anything they could think or imagine in their lives. But none of it would have been possible unless he would have led them into a seemingly impossible situation. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is how God often works. You see, we look at this and we're like, oh, dude, I want that kind of result. I want, like, the stuff that happens. I want the deeper walk with God and the faith and to see miracles. Cool. Here's what that means. God's probably going to lead you into an impossible situation. We want the results without the process so often. But, guys, there's none of that without the Red Sea having to be parted, right? And, guys, listen. Here's a, this is an important point. God led them to that place. I, I said that earlier, but don't miss it. It's simple, it's obvious, but it's, it's important. God led them. And I'm saying that because we sometimes wrongly think that if I'm following God and I'm in his will, it'll always lead me to somewhere comfortable and good and flowing and nice or not. God has a track record of leading his people into very difficult, hard trying situations that force us to grab onto Jesus with all we've got and say there's no plan B. If you don't come through, I'm dead. But it's through those times that he does more than we could ever imagine around us, in us, and through us. Amen? So don't be surprised. God's going to lead you into those places because God wants to do more in you and through you, and around you than you could possibly imagine. Amen? You know, we're, we just sang that song. Again, I'm tripping out because I didn't ask Austin to sing that song. Take me deeper than my feet could ever wander. You know, 